Alert Medic 1 responds. Box Area 19 dash. You're listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner. Welcome back to the Alert Medic One podcast. This is Mustafa Sadiq. Uh, I am really excited to welcome back Dr. Sam Galvano. This time I'm not going to read his page of a uh, biography. Uh, that took about half an hour last time. No, I'm kidding. Um, uh, thank you so much for being back on the show, Dr. Galvano. Very happy to be here. So, th- yeah, this sorry. is my passion. No, you know yeah. my passion's really EMS. I just yeah. wish I could do that full time, but uh. yeah, yeah. The uh, I'll tell you what, we have both. Uh, we were chatting a little bit before we start recording. Uh, you know, it's been uh, we can't talk about EMS right now without talking a little bit about the very traumatic event that not only all of us have gone through, but we are continue to go through, and that's this pandemic. Uh, we don't want to, uh, you know, snow you guys with a bunch of clinical physiology. You know, physiology. I, I know that's not what you guys want to listen to right now. Um, what I do want to talk to is, you know, as someone, uh, you know, Dr. Uh, Galvano is a leader in not only, you know, EMS, but, uh, you know, the, the, the medical construct that has been doing a pretty good job in Maryland responding to the pandemic. Uh, I wanted to talk to him today about just some of his, you know, the d- different experiences that I had uh, during the uh, COVID, uh, you know, the initial surges of COVID, kind of see what his uh, experiences were and then kind of just go from there and see where uh, uh, we go. So the first question I have for you, sir. Uh, and we did kind of already talk about it before the show. Um, but what, um, if you could, for the EMS clinician uh, right now, could you give a brief update on where we are clinically in terms of uh, treatment for EMS clinicians? So how do these patients present? What are we looking at? And what can yep. we do better? So I, I was told early on by one of my colleagues, he had the very first week on our biocontainment unit, very first week. So our very first two or three patients that were on ECMO, so high-end ECMO patients. And he said it best. He said at the time of sign-out, he's like, look, my only advice to all of everyone is just stay humble. Things are going to change. We're going to learn a lot about this disease. There's a lot we don't know about it. We just have to stay humble and not get fixated on things. And so I've tried to do that. It's hard. We're all human. We want a silver bullet. Unfortunately, with COVID, there is no silver bullet. That would be one thing I would put out to, to everyone. I think good, solid clinical care is the, is the rule rather than the exception. Uh, you hear in the media a lot of these reports about patients being perfectly healthy, a marathon runner, and then they just die from COVID. And honestly, that's not what we've seen here in Maryland. That's not what we've seen in the rest of the literature. Yes, there are exceptions. Every human will react differently. It's a bad viral bug, bad viral, primarily pneumonia with a lot of multi-system effects, which we can talk about a little bit. But I would say that the risk factors is one thing that's really important for the EMS clinician. If you have a relatively young, healthy patient and they don't have any of the hard signs of COVID-19, I, you know, I, I think we still be cautious. We, we maintain our PPE, all of our stuff we do. But it's really those patients that have risk factors, age over 65, hypertension, diabetes, obesity, you know, coronary artery disease, anyone who's immunosuppressed, COPD, HIV. These are the patients we're seeing at the sickest 
uh, or the, the most acute patients that are coming into our ICUs requiring mechanical ventilation, ECMO, it's, it's not that healthy 20, 30-year-old college student. Have we had a few of them? Sure, we have. Have we had a few patients who've come in with a clean bill of health on paper that we later determined had something like a hemoglobin A1C through the roof, like undiagnosed diabetes? Yeah, we've had a bunch of those too. Mm -hmm. So I would say the risk factors is one important thing as clinicians to recognize. If you've got an elderly patient who's, you know, coughing, has a little bit of a fever, maybe doesn't have a fever, but has some respiratory symptoms. Yeah, that's a patient we want to be, our antenna want to go up on. If it's a younger patient, you know, I'm not saying let your guard down at all. We st maintain our precautions, but, you know, um, it's not a patient we're going to jump in and intubate right away, for example, you know. Um, so the risk factors is one thing I think we've come to understand a little bit more, despite some of the media. Yeah. No, that's yeah. so you bring up two interesting mm -hmm. points. First, uh, so one of the themes that uh, has kind of, you know, brought itself uh, through the various episodes we've done is uh, BLS before ALS, right? So basic life support before Always. advanced life support. And capturing a good history and conducting a, a thorough physical examination will help you, f you know, find out what those risk factors are. Um, and then uh, another thing uh, that I wanted to bring up was uh, the... Well, maybe we could talk about it a little bit now, but uh, mm -hmm. later as well. But uh, what... I guess this is a little bit of a broader question. Uh, the, you mentioned the media, right? So we, it, it's a tough balance for clinicians who, oh, you know, let's be real, all of us are in a 24-hour news cycle kind of world, right? Mm -hmm. um, sometimes it's almost like an addiction, right? We, we feel like we have to be connected to the world. Correct. Um, how do, uh, what are some strategies that you used uh, to try to, you know, get the best information for not only you, but your team? Well, I... As my role in the hospital evolved to be more involved with the incident command and also just under, trying to understand what my own unit, my own intensive care unit was going to be faced with, as well as our county and Rundle, where I also was helping out, what are we going to really be looking at? And even right now as we speak, same thing. I think really looking at the epidemiologic data. So sticking with the good, solid sources of data that Johns Hopkins Group has done an absolutely, first of all, it's a, that's a world-class place. Am I biased? Yeah, I'm, I'm from that place. I, I get it. But I, I will tell you that they're just very objective. And right from the get-go, making strong use of GIS and just solid epidemiologic data. You know, the, um, the DVOC 91 site's another great one that I really like. Um, in fact, I can give you this to you at the end. I have a, a COVID page I created uh, under a new website that I have, which is free, stcmtcc.com. There's no money. I have no sponsorship. It's a pure educational site. But these are the sources I use are the solid epidemiologic uh, resources. Now, one of the ones that you'll be surprised that I was very reluctant to use is actually the New York Times list. Believe it or not, they actually had a pretty good yeah. – uh, pretty good reporting of, you know, where the cases were and, and a very nice depiction of the data. It is the New York Times, so it's one data source. It's not the only one that I would look at every day. But, you know, I, I felt like our Department of Health was, um, in the beginning, they were maybe just trying to get their feet under them, which is understandable. This is a pandemic of unprecedented proportions. But now they're, that's also another great data source, yeah. our state data. And mm -hmm. looking at the data, though, and not just reading a Yahoo story or you know, a Google News story or looking at something on the news, one-offs of cases are exponentially increasing in XYZ yeah. city. 
you really have to understand the population adjusted numbers, what yeah. you're dealing with. New cases aren't necessarily bad cases. We're seeing that now. So the cases are going up. We're, our ICU admissions have not yet. We're ready, we're ready for it. But understanding how the acuity, you know, what part of the populations are be, really being affected by this versus um, the initial stages when a lot of our vulnerable patients were affected. But I, I would say that the short answer is stick with the hardcore epidemiologic stuff, which yeah. is luckily very available. It's interesting you mm -hmm. say the, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you were hesitant to use the New York Times, but that ended up being <laughs> one of your uh, resor uh, you know, resources. So, but it's one data point, right? So uh, just like how a blood pressure is one data point yes. out of a complete and thorough assessment, right? Correct. Um, and it, yes. it, so someone who, you know, I've transitioned from being in the field to mm -hmm. doing more of this, you know, uh, emergency management stuff, I've learned that that theme uh, is throughout all of, you know, this incident management stuff. So we, uh, yes, you, uh, that's one data point. The, how did you, so you're, you're constantly fighting against these anecdotes, right? And anecdotes are, you know, what I, I would argue one of the most dangerous uh, mm -hmm. enemies of evidence-based medicine because a, an individual's own experiences might, uh, throw their actual objective decision making off. Yes. So, how did you, when in a world now of you know information saturation and anecdotes all over the place, um, how do you sift through and figure out how to? I mean, because you said you have a couple of resources, how how do you decide on what that is? Boy, it's a hard question. I think it goes back to that statement I made in the beginning, which is really a good advice for anything in medicine, is to stay humble and stay somewhat open-minded. There's another axiom we have in medicine, you know, be not the first to try new therapy, but be not, not, be, be not the last. And that's another good one to keep in mind. I think a lot of us in the beginning, myself included, were ready to jump into some weird drugs we would never use for anything like this, like tocilizumab and putting filters on things to try to, you know, filter out bad humors out of the body. Um, I'm not sure if that last, the latter one's necessarily completely wrong. There's some evidence that that may be slightly effective, but, you know, looking for that silver bullet, you know, you're just, you're, you're, when you're, you're faced with patients that are very, very desperately ill in great numbers out of proportion to anything most of us have ever seen, mm -hmm you just become very frantic. But that's where you have to stay humble and, and stay disciplined mm -hmm. and really try to look at the literature. I'm not saying you have to wait for that gigantic randomized controlled trial because if you do, then you, you might lose some patients. You do yeah. have to you have to put yourself out there and take some chances. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of things that we know work. Solid critical care, not snowing patients, not just intubating everyone at the hint of a, a sat that goes below 90. That's not something we normally do in our practice, but it's something some places we're doing very early on with this. Mm -hmm. I think staying disciplined and, and also staying abreast. I would get made fun of. I'd have a stack of note cards every day. And I'll be honest, I, I looked at those note cards before our podcast. Almost a quarter of those note cards are completely wrong and need to be put in the trash. Yeah, And, yeah. and not a lot, but there's some things like the high-low compliance thing that everybody latched on to. Oh, my goodness. We got to determine what the compliance is, and uh, you know we're going to treat the patient exactly based on that. Well, that that didn't turn out to be completely true, or mm -hmm. or 
hey, vitamin C is going to cure everybody. There was a huge movement for high-dose vitamin C early on in this. Yeah, Did I not remember. pan out. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, so that vitamin C <laughs> thing specifically was kind of a side effect of, you know, there was this movement. I forget what physician published that vitamin C was a cure to sepsis. Yeah. Remember that? I feel like Paul that Merrick. was a, yeah. Good man. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the... Uh, what was I going to say? So you mentioned that, uh, you know, you have to stay humble. Uh, the uh, a key aspect that I think EMS uh, is uniquely uh, approached with or it faces is uh, we don't know what we don't know, right? So we have been, and this is a theme that we've talked about before COVID ever started, was um, EMS is put in a unique position where with a little bit of education, uh, we are given a ton of responsibility, a ton of scope. Um and sometimes that causes us to, you know, draw connections between things that we, you know, uh, we don't have the understanding to uh, draw connections to. So um, the one of the biggest things that I've uh, tried to do in this whole thing is look, to, surround yourself with people that are a lot smarter than you. Right. Or a, less, a lot smarter in a specific uh, topic. Right. Mm-hmm. And also um, looking at content, looking at uh, education materials that you may not usually be uh um, uh, you know, someone something that you would read. We the the big thing right now is vaccine acceptance. Right? Sure. So we we're, we're approaching. So just to yes. put it into perspective for our listeners, we're approaching this um, this uh, fall flu season. Right. Um, well, we're we're about to be in the thicks of it. Right. Uh, in November, December, January, and um, we uh, also have the concern that. The, the influenza will be in the same population. And one of the mm-hmm. uh, two, two things, so influenza, you know, everyone get your flu shot, but, but the perceptions of EMS getting influenza vaccine, but also this new COVID vaccine. Um, so I just want you to know, get your thoughts on how, how do we, it's hard to admit that you don't know what you don't know. Sometimes it's even hard to see that you don't know what you don't know. Um, how do we break that barrier with EMS specifically? Uh, and uh, I'm going to help you a little bit because I know that's a hard question. Uh, for me, <laughs> for me, what I've been, I've kind of discovered this is, uh, and we've talked about it at the paramedic program that I teach at, is we have to do better on the front end. Uh, and when I mean the front end is we uh, don't talk a lot about um, how uh, we get to the protocols that we use, Right. Um, we're, we're taught a little bit of ANP, anatomy and physiology, and then we're taught uh, right. procedures, right? And we kind of learn procedures in tandem with the ANP review, which, let's be real, is not that well uh, taught. But uh, we never talk about how you all, the physician leadership, get to what our protocols are. Um, and a backbone of medicine is research, right, and, yes. and evidence-based medicine. So my... Uh, my answer to how we can improve EMS education is, is let's actually break down research. Let's break down um, how our protocols and how our physician leadership and paramedic leadership that you mm-hmm. know make the effort to uh, create those protocols and work with physicians to make those protocols, uh, teaching our paramedics how to uh, you know analyze evidence. I think that would have a direct impact on situations like this pandemic where you would have people that have a greater understanding of where the intellectuals are re- getting their reason and why we're doing what we're doing, right? And wh- uh, why the efforts have merit. So I'd love to hear your thoughts Well, on I that. think what you're saying is one of the, and I, I agree with you, I think what you're, what you're saying is you have to be somewhat well-versed in how to interpret the literature. Mm-hmm. And you can't just accept any paper as whole hog, including the very first vitamin C paper that came out, which showed a pretty profound 
effect. Um, that's always something you should question when you see a paper, by the way. We've been doing this a while. When you see something come out and it's reducing mortality by some ridiculous degree, it just it's a basic scientific principle. Where's the replication? Has it, can, can we replicate that? And that's something I think we miss a lot. And in COVID, we had a lot of one-offs in the beginning that we thought, well, this worked for one patient, sec, maybe two, but we didn't really look at the entirety of you know, how we applied that against the population and maybe even controlled it against other things like a placebo or some other effect. It doesn't all have to be randomized controlled trials, by the way, but I think the bottom line is you do nowadays have to be pretty well versed in the literature. And, and your, to your question of how we get to the protocols and how we get to guidelines, that really does need to be a very disciplined process as well. It can't just be a one paper or a quick PubMed search. Mm-hmm. You really got to delve into the literature and, and apply methodology that helps you really interrogate the literature to assess the quality of the literature itself. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I got the PhD was for that very that reason. I just did not feel coming out of med school I was able to look at literature the way I wanted to at a high level. I wanted to know what's under that hood. I wanted to understand the engine of the statistical apparatus that was used to develop those results or to put those results forward. I don't think every paramedic needs a PhD or a master's degree in this, but there's some simple things you can do just to make yourself smarter, like pull a checklist out next time you read a paper and follow that through. You know, if it's a randomized trial, where the patients, how were they allocated? Um, was there an intention to treat? You know, these are basic principles you can you can discern from the literature pretty quickly. You do not need to be a PhD to do that. Yeah. But I think that's how I would answer that question. And that's exactly in COVID. You know, there's papers that came out, including the recovery trial, which is the big steroid trial. I, I found a bunch of things in that trial that I thought I found a little bit questionable. No trial is perfect. Anyone who's done research knows that. You have to take the, um, the overall message and make sure that, you know, ask yourself the question, is this applicable to my population? Mm-hmm. That's another question that you have to always ask. So there's a lot there. Um, and that's kind of a loaded question, but I think overall it's not that hard to, right before this, we're talking about doing journal clubs, you know, mm-hmm. and journal clubs are a great way to do that. I think we need more journal clubs in EMS. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can do yeah. some on this podcast. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I think that's a good place to start and, and just to talk through this stuff and believe it or not, I actually think, I think EMS is very thoughtful about this. Yeah. I really do. I think we, I think that the profession is very thoughtful about how to go forth. Otherwise, we'd be doing crazy stuff in the field that doesn't work. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. I think we're really good at that. Um, could we be better? Sure. But, yeah. I, I'll tell you what, the uh, part of it, though, I think, where it was we were facing this pandemic, right? And we were facing, you know, we were, you know, a lot of it was we didn't know what we, were, what we were about to see. And we were seeing Washington, right? We were seeing New, uh, Washington State, I should mm-hmm. say, uh, New York, other hotspots, Italy, yes. right? Hot right. spots. We saw like the the videos coming out of China. We saw these like uh, hospitals getting ravaged. So I think a lot of it was um, uh, there's this. I feel like there's this thing that people feel that people were had bad intent. No, I think everyone had good intent. Uh, and getting these papers out, right? It's sure. Just, um, I think when we were trying to just grab at straws to see what we could do better uh, yes. to help, we, we kind of uh, forgot the basic tenets of what made us, what made medicine, what is modern medicine. Um, 
And I think that had a, a, a larger effect in uh, the fact that because we were putting out um, varying information, we lost a significant amount of trust from the public. And that the public relies on trust. For, and I know this is a larger conversation where it's not really EMS-centric, but it is because the public includes EMS clinicians, right? And the public lost a significant amount of trust when they saw the um, the usually um, unified front kind of break of medicine, right? And EMS is a strong part of that. I, I'm ashamed to say that I saw a lot of EMS clinicians that I would usually think, you know, were pretty, uh, you know, straightforward, understood the, you know, evidence uh, based medicine side of this lose a lot of confidence in what we were putting out. Not we as in my professional side, just like we as in the construct of medicine. Um, it, it, it was, a, it was a tough situation. It was definitely a tough situation. Um, yeah, go ahead. I think a lot of, I think one of the hard parts about a pandemic and with all the uncertainties is really this notion of you want something that's kind of black and white, like this is the right way to do it. This is the algorithm. And we didn't have that necessarily yeah. in the beginning. And some of the stuff we developed was maybe overly conservative. And I think that's a, a hard part of medicine in general, is, and that's definitely an EMS because we all know under protocol there's a, there is a black and white way to do it. But there's still a lot of gray area there. And I think that was one of the hard parts of this pandemic. And it still is because every day I came to work, I would be asked questions, well, what are we going to do? How are we going to handle these persons under investigation how what if we don't have negative pressure what if we run out of negative pressure what if we run out of n95 masks what are we going to do then and lots of uncertainty and lots of you know when you're stressed out the the last thing you want is that uncertainty Um, however i do think in ems that's something every clinician deals with every day is that uncertainty of rolling into a call could be trouble breathing could wind up being an arrest could wind up being hyperventilation you know Mm. It's up to you to figure that out. That uncertainty is what really keeps you in the game. And that's something not everybody's really good at dealing with that. And you have to be good at that in a pandemic. And so that's why I think, honestly, even nationwide, definitely in Maryland, the response to this thing has been really good. And I think it's just the mentality of being prepared and being okay with some uncertainty. And you're right. There's definitely some clinicians who had issues with that. They wanted that algorithm of how do I manage a COVID patient from X to X to, you know, A to Z. It's not that simple. You know, some of this we got to figure out in between, but um, I do think that there's that level of being okay with some uncertainty, which I don't, not sure if everyone in EMS gives himself enough credit for. Yeah, no, absolutely. I know that you did have some uh, points that you wanted to cover uh, clinically. I definitely want to transition to that. So um, uh, what what specific notes did you have regarding uh, maybe some clinical physiology? What other uh, topics? Well, we don't, we don't need to go too crazy. Yeah. I think I, here's, here's the thing. I, both this job and my Air Force job, I get asked a lot of questions because I'm on one end, it's, you know, who do we put in the plane? How can we carry out our mission? Here at the hospital, same thing. You know, we've got someone who's now sick. How are we going to staff the unit? What, do we have an outbreak? Do we not? Who do we test? Here's the thing with COVID. Um, it is primarily a respiratory problem. Not everybody has fever. About 50% or so, sometimes a little less, may have fever. That's true. We're all very familiar with the symptoms. But um, And then GI symptoms. You know, one in five, roughly 10 20%, one in five patients may have primarily or predominantly GI symptoms. That's another thing. 
But I think that um, the overall theme, I would say, is with COVID is just being aware of the constitutional symptoms. And, you know, I think that that is something you still have to stay vigilant with. And you can't write it off and say, well, it's flu season. It's probably just the flu. Um, I just had my flu shot. It's probably just the flu shot. I think we still have to be really careful with that because it's not about the majority of the younger people that are going to get this. Most of the, and I've, I've had the, huh, I don't want to say the privilege, but I've, I've been kind of thrust into outpatient medicine again, which I never wanted to do. I'm, you know, I love the ICU where, but by virtue of the fact that a lot of people are calling me up saying, what do I do? I'm COVID positive. I'm home. Um, stay home, you know, uh, pulse oximeter. What do I do? Should I get an oxygen tank? Should I go on steroids? You know, all these questions I'm getting asked as an outpatient person. And so I've had to become versed in that. And I think, you know, you start with the symptomatology. And like I said, it's primarily a respiratory problem. That's if you start developing respiratory symptoms, then it's time to go to the hospital. If not, you know, they're mild and you're doing okay, then you stay home, you know, and that's it. So managed um, a good number of patients home, not and I think that's an important point. But that's one of the things I wanted to highlight was just some of the signs and symptoms and the fact that GI can be one of the constellations of symptoms that can precede the development of COVID-19. And also the fact that if you don't have a fever, that doesn't mean you don't have COVID. You could. I mean, only about half will develop a fever. Um, certainly, if you have a fever, it makes it a little easier for us because that's the typical constellation of symptoms, fever and dyspnea. But... Um, those are some points I wanted to make. I, I don't know. I mean, the pathophysiology, I think we're all pretty sick of it, but the primary organ failure is definitely the respiratory system. Can other systems be affected? Absolutely. In EMS, are you guys going to see folks that are going to be dropping dead of uh, the myocarditis? We thought we'd see a lot more of that. In fact, the first couple ECMOs we put on, we cannulated them through the artery and put them on veno-arterial ECMO just to be perfectly safe. Their blood pressure is a little soft. We were worried they were going to tank and their heart was going to stop. Just didn't see a lot of that. It's hmm. still possible. Yeah. But that myocarditis is a big one because I know that's something that we can do in the field is we have EKGs now, 12 leads, and we can yeah. do a lot of work out there, right? And yeah. Yeah. not something that we see a lot of. It's something to keep, still keep your, um, again, keep your antenna up for it, but it's not a common presentation for COVID. Primarily, it's a respiratory problem with some other symptomatology that can occur. And that's, that's really what we're talking about here. Those it's are kind it's of interesting you, you bring up the myocarditis thing because I'm, that was one of the many things that we saw, thought we were going to see a lot of. Right. right? Yeah. The, um, sure. Uh, and, and it's interesting. Uh, so when you, when you hear hooves, think horses, not zebras, right? And uh, we, 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 we are facing a zebra to a point, I think. But mm -hmm. it's, it, it's kind of turned into um, – uh, if you see this, you know, treat the symptoms that you see. Um, the, sure. uh, what I would also say is, um, the other emergencies never went anywhere. Right. Uh, you right. Know, people didn't suddenly not have uh, congestive heart failure or COPD or asthma or, uh, you know, That's or right. other, other, uh, you know, ILI and, um, and I, I would love to see, you know, years from now, how we did with those uh, other illnesses, right? Yep. Or how we may have over-triaged or under-triaged uh, COVID, right? Or probably over-triaged COVID, under-triaged everything else. Uh, you know, a lot right. of Nemesis does some pretty good data reporting every month, yes. I believe, uh, through NSEMSO, uh, which is the National Association of uh, EMS. Some, I should know that. But uh, 
Um, off the top of my head, I don't. Uh, but they, uh, you know, we saw a profound decrease in 911 activations of various emergencies, but we saw mm-hmm. an increase in cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what what was the issue there? It, those illnesses didn't go away. Nope, public, that's right. Public health maybe did a little bit of a. Of a uh, uh, un- unintended damaging effect by yep. f- making people too scared to call up, uh, go to the hospital. Um, yes, and EMS yes. was the uh, was the front line uh, uh, clinic, you know, group of clinicians that saw that uh, happen. You're exactly right. And when we talk about stopping elective surgeries, and you know, the next time around here, at least in Maryland, as we prepare for our second surge, should it happen. Um, we're going to really make a concerted effort not to shut down elective surgeries. Elective surgeries are not elective necessarily. When you talk about a cabbage, it's not really elective. I don't think it is. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's something all, someone yeah. needs, you know, yeah. and you're absolutely right. Uh, that's, that's good research that we need to be doing in the tail end of this because uh, you're, those, that's one of the things we talked about all throughout this and, and, and at the hospital-level leadership and certainly in EMS something that I know you you were cognizant of at MIMS, uh, is that heart attacks don't stop. That's still our number one cause yeah. death. Cancer's still out there. Yeah. We still have a lot of respiratory disease. We still have a lot of other things that are you know can be taken care of with elective, quote-unquote, elective surgeries that we completely shut down for a pretty long period of time. Yeah. So I, I think we just have to be careful when you hear that they're restarting elective surgeries. We're not talking about tummy tucks yeah. or Botox yeah. or getting your wisdom tooth out. Yeah. What we're talking about, elective surgeries are elective heart surgeries, valve repairs, yeah. you know, so a lot of cancers that need surgical treatment. Yeah. They can be done electively, but it can't wait for months. Yeah. So I really worry about that burden of disease. I think you're, I think you're spot on. And I think, honestly, EMS is going to continue to see an uptick in that because a lot of these chronic conditions have not been taken care of. Yeah. And now here we are several months into this after we've had that period of no elective surgeries. Yeah. What's the what's the overall public health impact going to be there? That's a really it's a really um scary question. Yeah. I I you know transitioning in a similar vein uh, me- mental health, right? Uh, both <sighs> yes. for clinicians oh, goodness, and yes. right. um uh, the public. So we're we're going into you know the you know winter months. We we know that you know the seasonal depression is a, a huge issue, uh, but um, what we think we talk about our patients a lot. We never talk about ourselves, right? And uh, EMS has experienced this. Uh, not EMS only. Healthcare in general has experienced this massively traumatic event, and we are now kind of. Uh, we're we're the we're the group of soldiers that are seeing another wave of enemies coming, right? And we this one kind of seems a little bit more foreboding. Uh, so I wanted to just get your thoughts, comments, you know, uh, uh, on, on the mental health uh, topic that uh, uh, many people, you know, it's not hard to it's not easy to talk about. It's not easy to talk about, and there's a lot of both moral distress. There's a lot of just emotional distress keeping in mind that we're talking about a lot of folks that are listening to this that have had to, you know, like myself, four months sleeping in a closet, you know, or at the hospital, not getting to see your family, not having any decompression, nor any light really at the end of the tunnel is very, can be really challenging, very challenging mentally, uh, and doing the same thing over and over. And, uh, you know, I think not everybody has the coping mechanisms built in to do that. And some people that's, you know, this is what we do. Medicine and EMS is our life. But 
it's really important, I think, to have something to get your mind off of it. Um, you're, you're a kickboxer, you know. Uh, so I, I also enjoy the martial arts. It's hard to do it by yourself. Um, but, you know, just trying to divert yourself, you know, whether it's uh, – I think that's really important. I'm going to focus on that during this next search. I'm going to mm-hmm. make sure that I don't let the system abuse me to the point where – I'm going to be non-functional. Or if I get sick, I think that's part of it is you want to keep your immune system strong and you're not going to do that if you're not mentally there. Yeah. And so this is this is turned into a marathon. I was really hopeful this thing would die this summer. I thought the UV light and the heat and everybody would just this thing would just go away in a couple of weeks and it would go down to zero. And it hasn't. It has mm-hmm. not. It's a sticky big bug that just sticks around, very infectious. Um we flatten the curve, but it's still a curve. Yeah. And I think that uh, going into this next wave, I know I personally am going to be continuing to search for ways to just keep my mind off. Discipline it comes back to discipline. Discipline yeah. myself to read a novel and get my mind completely yeah. off. Go outside, do some, fix a car. Yeah. I don't know, take my jet ski apart. I don't know, whatever it takes to get your mind off of it is vitally important. And yeah. I, I recognize, cause I saw it at the end of it, you know, burnout was coming quick yeah, and me hard. Too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, absolutely. It was, it was, uh, it, it was tough. I mean, the, so, uh, we, we talked about this on the episode on, with, uh, Dr. Ripper and Ken before the, um, for me, I, I had a lot of friends that were on the front lines and I felt like, you know, almost like an imposter syndrome being not on the front lines. Right. It, so that, it, it, and, um, that coupled with, you know, the, everything else going on in the world, which we, you know, won't get into, but I mean, it, those all have compounding effects with the pandemic. Right. And, Absolutely. um, and it's, uh, it, it's, it's tough. And I, and I know we're not talking about, you know, a lot of solutions. We are talking about solutions. We're talking about, you know, getting your mind away and uh, stuff like that. It's a lot easier said than done. It's easier for us to just talk about it. Uh, as I'm talking about it right now, I'm going through, you know, how hard it is to put into practice. It is. It's um, hard. It is I, hard. I, I, I think the other thing that helped me is talking to like-minded individuals who are going yep. through similar things, you know? Um, sure. We, uh, and then kind of, kind of finding other things to do, right? We find yeah. ourselves, we get sucked into EMS and medicine. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, 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 uh, it's funny. Cause you and I, I think both had that experience. I mean, I know you were going to go back to, what was it that like you were going to do? I, I wanted mechanic to, school. I, yeah, I, I, and I, I thought about doing the same thing. Yeah, actually. Yeah, I, <laughs> in fact, I, yeah. I got into that. I kind of got yeah. into that I stuff. I actually got, ex- I was in yeah, the program. I, was I know. It's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I think we both had that experience, you know, yeah. where we were just searching for something to, our, you know, our mind was still sharp because we were, had to be every day, but man, it's, yeah. it's nice to divert it a little bit. You I know? mean, and I'll tell you, hard. I'll be honest with you. I was ready to shut down the podcast and I was ready not to record anything. I was ready to not do anything in medicine. I'm uh, glad you didn't. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm glad too. Honestly, I love the stuff. I can't see myself doing anything else, but uh, yeah, it, it, that's what these kinds of situations do to you. And it's perfectly natural to feel that way. If, if you guys yes. are out there listening to this and, uh, yeah, seriously, uh, I want to talk to you guys directly right now. Um, uh, depending on where you are, you might uh, now or in the future, in the coming months, or you might be coming out of some pretty dark times. And uh, what you guys are feeling right now, what you guys and gals are feeling right now, is it's perfectly legitimate. It's perfectly fair. It's natural. You are no lesser of a clinician uh, for feeling that way. If anything, the empathy and the you know the the mor- the moral uh, pain you're feeling right now because of you know maybe the patients that you've lost, the compounding effects of everything, uh, the fear of not being able to you know well the fear of maybe potentially exposing your family, 
those are all very uh, courageous and you know natural things to feel because you you uh, are responding in this situation. So um, I know we just kind of went on a little sidebar there, but it, it's important that you guys understand that. Like you guys are quite literally at the tip of the spear for this thing. Uh, we always have been. EMS has always been that. It's just now sure. now people are starting it's to true. recognize it a little it's bit. It's very more. true. Um, and don't just and. Uh, there everyone says this there's resources out there blah 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 remember there don't forget to take care of yourself everyone comes home you mentioned that you feel guilty you know not being on the front everyone's on the front lines with this stuff everyone is and i felt that way too i'm like if i'm not at the hospital someone else has to be well yeah someone else has to be okay everyone we can split this up you have to work as a team there's there's plenty of folks nobody's indispensable you know, and um, we found that out with a few people that got sick. Thank goodness they all got better quickly. But, you know, when you're out of the game, you're out of the game. But I think you have to really, again, not be ashamed. It's Here I am giving that advice when I didn't necessarily take it myself. But, yeah, I but, I, but I know yeah. you pay the price after a while. If you don't do that, yeah. you will break at some point. You have to just don't feel guilty about watching, uh, you know, uh, binging on a Netflix series yeah. or something, you know, do, do something to get your mind off this stuff. It's really important, I yeah. think. Um, and like we said, you know, I don't know if you have to enroll in a mechanics course. So that's, yeah. that's a little extreme, but that's pretty, that was pretty good that yeah. you were ready to do that. Well, but, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. um, but, but seriously, like that, that really speaks to, and, and, you know, the effort to do that. And yeah. you shouldn't feel bad about doing that. You yeah, should yeah. really, uh, Force well, yourself. I'll tell you what. So the, a little bit of backstory uh, for that. The um, <laughs> my so my dad was a mechanic, and, yeah. Uh, and um, the that's something I've always wanted to do. And yeah. I just with, with with school and everything else, I just didn't find the time. And uh, for better or for worse, I realized how much of a priority that is, and that's still yeah. a priority. You know, it's just because uh, medicine has a tendency to suck you in. It does, and it's 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 almost like an addiction to a point because you you get sucked into re, you know everything that is uh, yep. but since it's productive it's not necessarily negative it's actually i think it's pretty positive now but at the time i thought it was pretty negative <laughs> you know sure. and, and i was ready to get into something else and yes uh, and honestly it's nice seeing uh and i would recommend this to anyone uh, listening is if there's something that out there you want to try if, if if this pandemic has proved nothing else is that life is quite literally a lot shorter than we think and uh, it, it, there's no harm in trying that thing you've always wanted to try, right? Whether you know it's completely opposite what your interests are, uh, you know, or something tan, you know tangentially uh, it, you yeah. know involved with medicine. It, it go go do that thing, uh, yeah. You know because uh, your 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 shift work will still be there, right? Everything will still be there, right? Yeah. Your ICU will still be there. It right? will. It'll be um, there. <laughs> uh, but but the time you have, the time won't be there, right? The time is that continue to run and you and you'll uh uh you'll see yourself in five years ten years and if yep. you and you, you'll want to you want to be able to answer to yourself and that you did the right thing for yourself mentally hey i think that's pretty good do you have any other uh any quick things you want to talk about quick i don't stuff? think yeah. so i think that's probably it i think everybody's up to speed with this stuff you know there's there's just no silver bullet unfortunately medically solid care CPAP is actually something we were staying away from in the beginning. Now we're, we're really yeah. endorsing that. Yeah. Not, not, you know, I think everybody knows that steroids are probably pretty good if you're, if you need them. And what I say by me needing them is you got to be on some oxygen or having some pretty enough to be hospitalized. It's not something everyone who gets this at home should be put on dexamethasone. Absolutely yeah. not. In fact, it's neg it has a negative effect if you do that. 
So only when you develop symptoms. But other than that, I, I think the most important thing is the last bit of this podcast we talked about. We've got to stay healthy because yeah. we're the frontline folks for this. You guys are the frontline folks for this. And I can tell you there's no way we'd be able to make the impact on this thing that we have been able to make on it without getting patients safely to this hospital and keeping our workforce safe. And, and I think EMS has done that as good as anybody has done that as yeah. a profession. And so just keep your guard up, stay safe out there, be disciplined, take care of yourself. And get your flu shot. And definitely get your flu shot. <laughs> Definitely get your flu shot. Thank you so much for listening in, guys. Uh, I know this was a little bit of a uh, not a hard, robust clinical episode, but I'm sure you guys don't mind. Uh, Continue to listen. Follow us, uh, Alert Medic One. Uh, Let us know how we're doing. Uh, Keep your heads up. Uh, We're you know we're all in this together. And 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 if you uh, uh, if you want to sign up for a mechanic class, go sign up for that mechanic class. (laughs) That's all for now, guys. Thank you so much. You've been listening to the Alert Medic One podcast, the premier emergency medical services podcast with your hosts, Mustafa Sadiq and Ken Sanner.